शिला गुरुदेव की जाय श्रीमन महाप्रभु की जाय श्री हरिनाम संकीर्तन की जाय श्री राधा मोदार्ज की जाय श्री द्वादश की जाय श्री हरिनाम संकीर्तन की जाय और भक्त वृंद की जाय गौर प्रमाण हरि हरि सो गुड मॉर्निंग प्रणाम joining online as well and well today we have our last meeting here in bulgaria continuing our journeys in this case towards colombia and so on then so as usual in the mornings we are getting together mostly for istagosti or q a questions and answers so I'm inviting whoever may have any questions or any topic, something you may like to hear about, to ask about. This is the moment. Mm -hmm. Are there any questions for the ones online, the ones present here? Uh, sorry, who is there? Balaram. Balaram, you spoke? I had I had the volume very low here of the microphone. Let's see. I'm asking you to unmute yourself, Barbara. Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah, we can hear you. Ah, pronounce Maharaj. Jai, Dandavat. New Zealand, New Zealand Yatra Ki Jai. Greetings from the future. <laughs> Let, let me know which can is your I, question, yes. Can I ask um, a question that I just, I was uh, catching up on your classes about uh, the Navadweep Leela and um, I, just a couple of short questions. Um, one was about when, so when uh, Gadatha meets Pundarik Virginity and it said that he you know, he he re recognizes Pondereek as Rishabhanu and accepts him as his guru. So, does Gadatha actually take formal diksha from him, or is it? Is it? I mean, is it, or is it that he's accepting him as a guru more in a? I don't know, in a just in a out of seeing him as a senior or like or is. Was Gadatha Pandit initiated before that? Had he already taken picture from somebody else? I was just trying to understand exactly what happened there. Yeah, okay. So that's the first question, right? <clears throat> it's it's a brief answer. Uh, yes, yeah. I kind of had a, a, follow, a follow up one okay. related to um, Advaita Acharya. Okay. I'll ask that one. Ask that, that one, and I will reply all of them together. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, just in regards to Advaita Acharya, um, because we understand that he's an elder of Mahaprabhu, he's a senior. Um, but I have heard some other Gaudiya Vaishnavas say that actually Advaita Acharya wasn't much older than Mahaprabhu. Whereas, I guess what. We always understood, especially coming from an ISKCON background, that Waiter Acharya is always portrayed as an old, an older 
man. And I think you also mentioned in the class maybe yesterday or the day before that Adwaja Acharya is also maybe like 70 years of age mm-hmm. or older. But I have heard some other Gordias say that actually Adwaja Acharya is not much older than Mahaprabhu. And I was just wondering if you had heard this or you knew anything okay. about that as well. Okay. If that's okay. possible. Okay, I'll reply on that. Thank you. <clears throat> so, I'll repeat briefly the two questions, since we have here translation as well. Um, so, first, Balaram Prabhu is asking whether Gadadhar Pandit, when he accepted Pundarik Vidyanidhi, if he accepted him as his guru in, in a more, if you will, general sense, or in a Siksha sense, or, or if he received Diksha from Pundarik Vidyanidhi, which type of acceptance was that basically so mostly basically whatever we we hear in shastra and our acharyas in that connection is that kadadapanda accepted diksha from pundarik vidyanidhi he he didn't have diksha before basically hmm? that's the first question it's a short answer basically <laughs> and the second question from balaram prabhu as well has to do with advaita acharyas age because he asked, generally Advaita Acharya is described as a very as an elder person in the Lila, but he mentioned that he had heard from other Vaishnavas also that sometimes it is said that Advaita Acharya was actually not that old as sometimes he's depicted like a very elder elder person. So if I had some thoughts about that, <clears throat> so yes, of course I've, I've heard about that as well. But I will say that in connection, because there are two things to consider here. One thing is the the the, the early lila, the Bauma lila. Another thing is the Nitya Navadvip. No? So there there may be some differences in that in this sense in that connection. No? For example, because it is clearly stated, we can share then the the quotes. That Advaita Acharya was the elder of the community. Of course, being the elder of the community doesn't mean that you have 70 years old or something. You can be elder of the community being younger. But in certain lilas, like the one I've shared yesterday, or no, not yesterday, sorry, two days ago, I think, when Mahaprabhu starts to, to hit, to beat Advaita Acharya and so on, and, and Sita Thakurani comes and she asks him, please, he's a pretty elder person, do not kill him. So in, in sections like that, we have a glimpse that Advaita Acharya actually was not that young either. Now maybe we cannot tell like he was exactly this age, or I say like 70, one can say 60, but it's not like he was like 30 or something like that. No? Older than Mahaprabhu for just a brief period of years. But he had been, I mean, it is said that Advaita Acharya was disciple of, of Madhavendra Puri. So that also creates this generational uh, distance, if you will, from someone like Mahaprabhu, who was a disciple of Ishwara Puri, who was a disciple of Madhavendra Puri. So there is one. There are some things that will show that actually there was some difference of age among them. But what what men, what I mainly heard, and we can of course do further research. There, I'm sure there must be some 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 further investigation in that direction is that mostly when Advaita Acharya is depicted as younger it has to do mostly with the Nitya Navadvip where, where he appears there not even as the same age of Mahaprabhu but somehow a, a little bit younger 
no, in the context of of, of the Nitya Lila, which Nitya Lila means there is no change of age and unfolding and birth and death and getting older and so on. So I will say that many times also this idea that he was not that old or, or like that is like a way of making the point of there is no death or there is no uh, getting old in the Lila and everything is eternally fixed and eternal and youth even though some are the elders and so on. So there are ways to speak about that. Of course, this is nonetheless a technical detail because at least personally, it will make a difference if Advaita Acharya has white beard or, 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 or black hair without white hair or something. It's mostly like a detail. It, it won't really change the... <clears throat> I, I will ask one friend of mine who is initiated in the Advaita Paribar to see how they conceive this point. That will be interesting to know because, again, there are different conceptions, maybe in different lines, so maybe we can go to the ones who belong to Advaita Acharya's lineage specifically and see how do they think of that. And, and I may share with you the news of what he told me, basically. Maybe you can remind me, just in case, because I'm with many things in my head now. Send me a private message and remind me about asking this to this devotee and I will share with you in these days. <laughs> so what else? Any any other question? Any other topic? Something? Uh, there was something that you mentioned, I think it was in the first in the first lecture while you were here, about uh, you mentioned three reasons for Lord Chaitanya's uh, internal uh, reasons for his appearance. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember the three of them, but can you... You have to study. Uh, Chaitanya Charitamrita 116. Just for you, that's the verse. Okay. Those are there. But yeah, continue. Okay, but, uh, so there's about one num reason number one and three. Can you say how those are... What's the difference between those, those, those two? Okay, I'll brief... I mentioned them again briefly in... in how they say in English, in layman terms. <laughs> so it, it may be easier to, to grasp than just go into the Sanskrit and, and, and the technici technicality of it. So the first reason is Radhaya Mahima Pranaya Mahima. Well, I'm going to the Sanskrit, what to do? But Krishna wants to taste, as Mahaprabhu, the glories of Radha's love. Hmm? So, what's, what's the breadth and depth of that experience? I want to experience that. It's like a, a generic way of presenting the, the, the whole thing, even. In one sense, one could say all of the other two somehow are included there, but at the same time, it's presented as a separate reason. So, I want to taste the, the love of Radha, let's say, which implies its glories. Second, I want to taste the beauty, Krishna thinking, I want to taste my own beauty <clears throat> through her eyes. No, <clears throat> what does she see in me that makes he, her mad in love for me? I can tell that she gets totally mad. So I, I can assume that there is something, as my guru will say, there must be something special about me, because she's like she becomes so crazy when she. But what what's that in me? I don't know because I am me. I need to see myself from another lens. <clears throat> so this curiosity is coming. And the third 
reason will be what's the happiness that she alone tastes or relishes when she's contemplating that. So again, one could say the three of them are quite, in one sense, similar, but there are slight differences in, in these three. No? So what's, what's the, the, the love of Radha? What does she feel for me in general? What's, her, what's the beauty that through that love she perceives in me? And what's the byproduct of that perception of beauty in the form of, of her happiness? Somehow one could, <clears throat> one could evil, like put them in, like it's in a sequence order, if you will. No? Like Radha has certain love for me that makes her look at me in a certain way and see something in me by th that love. And by seeing me through the lens of that love, she derives certain happiness, no? which is totally unknown for me, basically. No? So that's what takes Krishna to say, I have to. To, to enter into the shoes of Radha, they have to go through her experience. No? So, but yeah, one could see them again in this particular sequential order. No, what does she feel for me? How that thing that she feels for me makes her see me? Because basically, you see someone according to how you feel for that person. Basically, you can have someone in front of you, but if you hate that person, you will see something in particular. <laughs> You may not see the beauty of that person, basically. <laughs> and the opposite, of course. If you love someone, you won't see any defects. No? Like they say, a mother who, who has... Love is blind, sometimes they say. No? Like blind to the faults of the beloved. No? Sri Radha makes this point very in detail in the famous Prem Samput, very beautiful book by Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur. Very short one and recommended. And she, she, she <clears throat> you may know this section that Krishna appears in front of Sri Radha and the gopis dressed as a heavenly damsel. And that came, that she said, I living in heaven in Swarga and, and, and I heard about the glories of, 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 of Krishna's flute and how he enchants all the ladies in Braj. So I wanted to experience that for, I was curious about what's that about. So I came. So then I found you, Krishna, saying to Radha's, he himself is disguised, rather doesn't know that's Krishna. And I, I see your gl the glory of your love for him, but I see that he's not grateful enough. He's not fully reciprocating. He's ungrateful. He's with other ladies. So Krishna starts to criticize himself, disguised as this lady. No? To Shirada, and Shirada starts to, to show the nature of her love for Krishna to this to this. And it's nice because Krishna at one point starts to criticize himself and he himself believes what he says about himself. It's not that he's like making a show. He really feels himself, as we spoke yesterday, ungrateful. I'm not paying back as, as, I, as she deserves. She's giving on some level, but I'm not giving myself in that same degree because I have so many other devotees to take care of and so on. So he himself starts to speak in that way without saying, I'm, I'm that Krishna. It seems that he's criticizing Krishna, but actually it's Krishna revealing his mind to Radha. <laughs> and Radha starts to reveal the glory of her love for him and how even when it seems externally that she is rejecting him, actually it has nothing to do with rejecting him, and how even the nature of her love for him do not have, does not have eyes for, to any defects in him, even if so many people may point to her. But this Krishna is this and that, like Krishna himself was doing at that moment. No, he's a womanizer, a playboy. He's doing this. He learned, and rather, 
she harmonizes all those points in the context of her love for him, basically. That's another nice book to to connect with Krishna appearing as Mahaprabhu. No? Actually, my Guru Maharaj gave, I think the last, it was what? Gorpurnim class or Radastami or last year? Speaking in these terms, speaking about Prem Samput and, and in connection with Mahaprabhu. Which book is that? Prem Samput. From Bish, by Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur. You can remind me, I can share you a PDF of that. It's like, Prem Samput means like love locket. Samput is like locket, you see? So it's, that's the name, no? Because in that exchange, Shirad is all, all, all like opening that, no? and showing the real nature of of their love for each other, no? So, so as we were saying, no? The nature of real Prem is you don't see the defects of the beloved, no? It is say that the a mother may have a blind son, but they she will name her, her son Padmalochan, which means lotus eyes. And someone say, but he's blind. How can you call him lotus eyes? <laughs> he doesn't have eyes in one sense, but she doesn't. She doesn't have eyes for that. <laughs> no, she's seeing him with with another eyes. No, so with those eyes, she's not seeing any defect. She's saying, oh, my beautiful child is so beautiful, Padmalochan, lotus eyes. No matter the whole world is saying the contrary to her. No? So something like that has to do with how Radha is seeing Krishna with a certain eyes. So Krishna wants to <coughs> to taste those eyes, if you will, basically. No? How, I, how I'm being seen from her perspective. He wants to increase, if you will, he wants to increase his uh, knowledge about himself. Of course, Radha is himself. No, There is this important thing to bear in mind. We cannot create this dichotomy of Radha and Krishna totally separate beings because they are one and different at the same time. That's our philosophy of Jinti Vida Vida. That, that's that what we explained in the very first class also. The Absolute is one, Advaigya Tattva, the Bhagavatam says, non-dual subconsciousness, it's, you cannot separate and make two of, of him. It's him and also his shaktis. Shakti Mama and Shakti are one, are inseparable. But at the same time, <clears throat> there is some difference on the basis of that unity that allows for dynamic ex- loving exchange. So in this way, Krishna's primary Shakti takes this form, Sri Radha, that allows for the n- nature of Lila to unfold. <clears throat> but they are one at the same time. And, and this is what something that Radha also mentions in, in the Prima Samput. How they are two and they love each other, but also how they are one in that context, one and different. So my Guru Mahas likes to say, love is about being two, because you need two for loving exchange, but becoming one. And he will say, you and I become we in love. And there is some form of unity, singleness there. So again, Krishna wants to know himself more. I mean, you get to know yourself more by knowing how those who love you see you. They are, how to say, that has to do with your potential, no? You have Krishna and you have the potential of being Krishna. What's what's implied in the fact of someone being Krishna? Of course, Krishna is Krishna, no? Krishna has his own potential. So Krishna wants to know, what's my potential? What's all that I can be? Radha is seeing something in me I do not see in me. So, so of course, we are not Krishna, but we can apply that on some level to our lives. We are something or someone 
or we think we are something or someone, <laughs> while we may be something else, but the point is there's a potential in us, there are certain things that we may not be appreciating that we'll be seeing through the, by those who love us. So, and we want to know which are those things in us, in potential at least, that they are seeing. And that's the importance of having of Sri Guru and the sadhus because that means they are seeing in us in terms they are seeing us in terms of our potential. They are looking at us and seeing all that we can be, all that we can become. They're not just limiting us what, to what we are now at present. So it's it's very useful that we learn to see ourselves through the lens of those persons who are seeing us by through the lens of their love, through the lens of their mercies, wisdom and compassion. And that we identify ourselves with that version of us, if you will. Not what we think we are, but what Guru and Vaishnav know we are, actually. They are seeing what you are, which means what you can be, because what we are is, and our potential is not, not possible to separate. So that's, that's an important point in in being a disciple. The, the word disciple, I'm sorry if I'm going on the tangent here, but I think this is connected. The word disciple is connected to the word discipline. You know, the very etymology, you, you cannot separate one word from the other. So, so, And discipline, of course, doesn't mean something dysfunctional or extreme. But one of this, of, of, of the, one of the aspects of the discipline, I think, will be, will be this. You know? Like, me as a disciple, somehow, I, if I accept the Guru, hmm, Diksha Guru, Siksha Gurus, I make the vow, or I take the commitment of trying to see myself through the eyes of their, to their eyes, through their eyes, to the eyes of their instruction, through the eyes of their, what they see in me, what they are, what's the potential they are trying to draw from me, that's me. Um, that, that will be my discipline. I will have to internally focus in that direction instead of identifying with so many other things that have nothing to do with my ultimate self. So, <clears throat> and again, Mahaprabhu is Krishna as a disciple, as a devotee, and giving that type of of examples. Krishna seeing himself through those through the lens of his guru. No, Radha is Krishna's guru. Amishisha guru not. Radical Prema or not, says Chaitanya Charitamrita. Krishna himself is saying, I am a student, Sisya, Ami Sisya, and she's my guru. Shirad is my guru. And she makes me dance in so many ways through her Prem. I'm a, I'm a student in, in the school of her Prem, basically. You know? so, so, yeah, so those may be the, will be the three main things. No? What's the glory of her love? And by the glory of her love, how she approaches me, how she sees me. And what's the experience of seeing me through such love? What's the happiness that comes? And, and of course, an important point before finishing, uh, <clears throat> is that when we speak about what's Radha's happiness, it's, it's important to understand that her happiness is totally linked with Krishna's happiness. It's not something that she's like... This is interesting because... <laughs> I mean, she rather doesn't have a sense of separate self. So she, whatever she gives her happiness corresponds always with Krishna, with Krishna's happiness. It's not like, I'm happy with something that has nothing to do with Him. It, it doesn't happen. It, it's, it's not a fact. 
So when even in the Shastra, sometimes we hear things that <clears throat> Radha's own happiness. So it may seem like, oh, she has her, her own happiness. But when you go to her own happiness, you realize her own happiness is Krishna's happiness. So that's her own happiness, whatever makes him happy. But that happiness that is in connection to Krishna, again, is unknown to Krishna. <laughs> no? So Krishna says, oh, she's feeling that happiness, <clears throat> and I can tell that happiness is totally, exclusively connected with me. But I don't know what's that about, basically. So again, this is connected with who she is, what does she feel, but also Krishna saying who I am. Um, and because she's seeing something in me that is unknown to him. So it's a, a way of Krishna's himself self-discovering him, like reaching his deeper depths, if you will, deepest depths and getting to know himself more and more. And of course, as we always say, there is no limit to that. And that's why Gorlila is eternal. <laughs> because... It is an experiment that has no end. No, it's a it's an bottomless laboratory. No? Krishna is still, I mean, there's no end to, to, to grasp the, the depths of Radha's love, and there's no end to grasp the end of Krishna's beauty, all that what all that Krishna is about. So it's a very unique theological perspective. No, I mean, generally you, you don't have that idea of God. <laughs> God is just like a figure there and doing this and that and mostly connected with this world and the and the souls in illusion and providing and helping and maintaining order in the cosmos and bus, period. That's God. But here we're finding like a totally like this what they call in in Russia the mamushka. No? Like that there's one Matryoshka. Okay, in, in, in our countries they call it like that, mamushka. Okay. So you have a big doll, and it's, yeah. uh, so like you open. Okay, this is it. You, oh, this is it. But this this one is an ending. There's no little one, and this this over. Like it's, the more you open, the more it's like <laughs> keeps expanding, basically, like a fractal or something like that. It's like opening, opening, open, blossoming, blossoming. That's why my guru likes to call Nityanavati like the lotus inside the lotus. You know, like Krishna lilas, like lotus. And but when it flourishes, flourishes, and it manifests a gore lila, which is a lotus inside the lotus. But as we spoke in the in the first class, and I was speaking this with the Mal Krishna, I remember in, in North Carolina. But also the gore lila keeps expanding and takes one to Krishna lila, and Krishna lila is taking one to gore lila. So it's a lotus inside the lotus inside the lotus inside the lotus, and there's no end to that to that flourishing. No? So again, we are. I mean, if you at least on theory try to appreciate the the uniqueness of, of the concept, in theory, of the concept of the divine that we have come through is like astonishing. Just to to have a glimpse, to grasp on the, in, theoretically for a minute such an idea. I mean, you're asking yourself, what I'm doing here? I mean, what did I, did I do for being in the midst of such a notions? And of course, the reply is, I did nothing. <laughs> in my case, at least. So that, of course, is humbling and allows us to to embrace this gift with the proper spirit that Mahaprabhu himself taught us. Only with topmost humility we can enter into this realm. And that topmost humility is the one that Radha has, that Krishna's Mahaprabhu is having. So that's that's the norm, basically, in this higher spheres, if you will. If you want to have access to this finer and finer layers, there's no way there un unless you really 
you become really humble. And really humble doesn't have an end. What does it mean, basically? <laughs> Krishna himself is discovering all that in this form. No? And that's why Sanatan Goswami mentioned, actually between prem and humility, there is no difference, he said. Actually, one is fostering the other. Humility fosters prem, prem fosters humility, and both act like karya karana, cause and effect. And prem has no end. You can reach attain prem, but it doesn't mean I have attained it all. No, I mean prem has no no end. And since humility is linked with that, humility has no end. And Gorlila and Mahaprabhu are showing that. No? A degree of prem that is always expanding and a corresponding humility that is always expanding, accompanying that expansion of prem. So that's the journey we are being invited. So <laughs> fasten your seatbelts and <laughs> Go. No return ticket, just in case. That's what Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta will say to his disciples. Accepting a guru means no return ticket. If you have a return ticket in your pocket, Sri Guru will tell you, give it to me, and in front of you will tear it to 108 pieces and say, okay, now, that's the goal. Let's go. <laughs> okay. <coughs> what else? Any other question? Okay. See here, Radha Giridari share one question at 8.45 a.m. So, should we go there? Because it's in order, just to honor. I mean, we'll go through the two of them. So, or, or your question is mainly more... No, 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 no okay. So, Radha Giridari is saying... Maharaj, can you say some words on what should be our approach to singing bhajans, how to meditate on them, how to choose what to sing, etc.? I always spoke a little bit the other time, right, about that? But, of course, we can always say something. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I remember some years ago, maybe almost 10 years ago, but that's in Spanish, so sorry for that. But we made a series of lectures in Argentina. It took like a whole year. And we were all every, going through each one of the songs of our songbook. No? So it, were, it was like 250 classes or something. No? And of course, there's no end to how many songs there are. We were going through the main ones. So it was nice. It was interesting. Because again, the class, generally we may not be accustomed that, okay, the lecture will be on the song. No? Like you sing... And now comes the class about something else. But no, our class was we sing a certain bhajan or kirtan, and then the class is just unfolding the purport of that song, which of course it's there. We have seen our acharya sometimes explaining that. But we made that a whole year series. Okay, we will the classes will be about this. No, so each song, and let's try to unpack the implication. I'm not saying you have to do that, but I'm just sharing. There's place for that. No? And, there, and, and that was, I remember, a very nice experience because, I mean, there, those songs that you are accustomed to sing maybe every day for years, when you stop and take the time, but then let's not just sing them and repeat them. I mean, I'm not saying that one is just repeating, but let's take the time to, no, to grab all the, I mean, not all, but something of what's that about. And, and for all of us, it was like, wow. No, and for me also, no, like, wow, we were singing this for years, but now we start to understand what's really, what's really the, is this about, and and so on. So that's a nice exercise, not not just like, just sing and 
we, we sing. We are to sing that way. We are to understand what we are singing about. And we are to be humble enough to know we will never know everything about that. No? So there's always place for more. So that to begin with, that's an important point. No? And, and that's why also we spoke these days about the importance of of Kirtan and Harikata intertwined among the two. No? Not only just getting together and singing, but also sharing Harikata in between the Kirtan. And sometimes the Harikata in between the Kirtan can be exactly this. can be, okay, we will sing now, <clears throat> whatever. Jai Radha Mada, we will sing Guru Astakan, we will sing Jashamati, whatever. And after going to the next bhajan, let's share, let's speak something about what we have just sung. What's the meaning of the song and, and, and so on. So that's a very nice way of entering in, into the meditation that the song is inviting because each song is like a I like to say like a portal again it's not just a song no? you can see that even with mundane songs I mean you sing a song and, and you are transported somewhere no? emotionally at least even if you don't understand you have a clue about the language <laughs> because sometimes you see people singing English songs and they don't have an idea they are repeating the lyric and saying any nonsense because they don't know the language <laughs> but the song is like um, surcharged you say with a certain certain emotional disposition so you connect with that and you are transported into that even if you don't have a clue about the, the lyrics no? so even if that can happen on the material level with limited emotional range, without knowing really actually the lyrics, <laughs> how much potential is there if you go to these songs that ha are actually extension of, of extensions of the heart of our acharyas? No, they are just basically revealing their hearts and minds in the form of these deep introspective moments. Mm. So, of course, I'm not saying with this. Just sing them even if we if you don't understand its meaning. No? Because, of course, in our case, most of the songs we sing in many cases are in Sanskrit and Bengali. Of course, there are, I, I don't know how much in Bulgarian, some of them are translated or not, but, but it's also nice to sing them in their original language, but also it's nice to, to understand what's the meaning of that. <laughs> of course, without even understanding that, you will feel something. Because again, you sing Jai Radha Madhava, and if I start to ask you, okay, translate with me the meaning of every word of the song, you may not be able to do that. But you will tell me, but still, I feel something, I feel something. Because again, Bhakti Nautaku wrote that song, his heart is there, his present there. So if we are open and sincere, we will get a glimpse of that. <clears throat> of course, if you understand the meaning of the song, that will help to more, to relate much more to what's going on, basically, you know. So as much as we can, I will I will recommend also that type of exercise. No, I know it takes some time, but it's a time well invested. No, like if you memorize a verse from the Shastra, it's nice to know the meaning of each verse, not just like oh, of the word the the meaning of each word of the verse. Sorry, it's not just I know the Sanskrit and I repeat the Sanskrit. And you know the official translation, but if I ask you, but what's the meaning of each word? I don't know. Okay, it's, we have to start somewhere. <laughs> but when you start to understand the meaning of each word, that helps you really start to understand the bird more. What to speak if you know the, the language and, of course, the purports. So if you really are interested in 
in diving deep into all the things, you will try as much as one can, of course, take the time for those things. No, it's not just like, go quickly, let's go to the next verse, let's go to the next, it's the next song. Each one of these songs have the potential of <clears throat> capturing us forever, basically, because again, there are portals of eternity. There are like windows, as my Guru Rush will say, of opportunity, which shed light on, on the heart of these personalities in the spiritual world. So it's eternal. You can remain there forever. <laughs> As I remember, I was speaking with one god sister of mine, some maybe this, yeah, in the beginning of this year, and I was asking her, I was staying at, at, at her house with her family, I was asking her, how is your study of Chaitanya Charitamrita going? Because I knew she was studying it from the last visit, so I assume she may continue with that because you don't finish Chaitanya Charitamrita in one weekend. <laughs> if you are studying it, you will take your time. So, And that, that was a fact. And she told me, I continue now in, in Ramananda Sambhat, which is Mahaprabhu's conversation with Roy Ramananda. And she told me, and I got, got stuck there. She told me. I said, wow. She told that like, like as a negative thing. I got stuck in Ramananda Sambhat. And I felt like, wow. I hope that I may get stuck in Ramananda Sambhat someday. <laughs> My point is, there are, those are places to remain forever. I mean, I would like to remain there forever. My Guru says those books have one empty page for waiting for you to fill with your own testimony. So it's not that I'll read the section as quick as, oh, book finished, what's the next one? No, no, no. You should live there forever. So it's not about reading it, doing away with that and continuing. The same with the songs. That's my point. No? It's not that, okay, the song, next song, next song. But trying to enter there and understand, oh, this, each one of these songs have the potential to, again, to trap, capture me forever, basically. No? Like, for example, the famous, ex one of the famous examples is when Srila Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta <clears throat> he was passing away from this world. <laughs> and he was like on his death bed, as they call, surrounded by many of his intimate disciples. So he he requested Srila Siddhar Maharaj, as you may know, you please sing Sri Rupa Manjari Pada. This is a very, very confidential song by Sri Narottam Dastakur, in, in which he's praying to Srila Rupa Goswami in his identity as Sri Rupa Manjari, and expressing his innermost desire of of, of, of serving in, in, in following to the footsteps of Sirupa Manjari. Sirupa Manjari Pada say more Sampada, say more Jivan Erjivan, say more Abaram, say more Adhar, say more Akara. And so now those feet of Rupa Manjari are my wealth, are my Dharma, are my shelter, are my life and soul, are those feet are my all in all. So all the song is about what Sri Rupa Manjari Pada means for Narottam Das Thakur, no? What the feet of Sri Rupa Manjari represent for someone like Narottam Das who wants to follow that. No? So he asked Srila Siddha Maharaj, please sing that song. And as you know, the Lila, in brief words, you know, he, he was not famous as being a great singer, externally speaking, of course, internally. Being a Kirtaniya doesn't have to to do with having a good voice, no, actually it has to do with <laughs> having a good heart, <laughs> however form it takes outside. But somehow, when he started singing, he was stopped by one devotee, and, he, and the, this devotee said, better Srila Bhakti Pramod Puri Maharaj sings this song. 
he, who, who was known as a refined Kirtaniya, of course, and a great devotee, no? not only a nice singer. <laughs> so, Srila Purimara started to sing, and Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta immediately stopped him and said, I don't want to hear a nice voice. I want to hear Srila Siddha Maharaj. So, there, of course, there are many things to unfold from this famous pastime. One of them that for me struck me immediately is it is said that after that moment, Srila Puri Maharaj accepted Srila Siddha Maharaj as, as the immediate authority in his life after Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta. He didn't feel jealous or rejected, like, ah, I was about. Try to imagine, no? your guru is about to leave your body. <laughs> And someone is about to sing, cancel, and you are invited to sing. So you start to sing, and your guru stops you and says, no, the other one. Sometimes you may feel like, why, I wanted to see all this nonsense. That shouldn't happen, but that can happen. <laughs> and you will feel that, see the other person as competition, competitor. But no, Srila Purman says, Srila Siddharth is my immediate Siksha guru. No? So that speaks about who Srila Purimaras is as well. No? <laughs> And, but the point is that Sila Sila Prabhupada Bhakti Siddhanta want to make this point. And, and, and I want Sila Siddhartha to sing the song. And all the devotees who were there, when they saw this, they realized and they saw that to Sila Siddhartha. Oh, Guru Maharaj, by inviting you to sing that song, he gave you access and entrance into the intimate circle of servants of Sri Rupa Manjari. So I'm... I'm and of course, Silasya in humility say, no, 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 that's not like that. He put me at, I, I have no right to enter into that circle. He put me at the door to, to take care that no, not everyone and anyone will enter there. Bhakti Rakshak, the guardian of devotion. I, I'm the gatekeeper at the door there. <laughs> so the, my point is, just by a song, no, how, how this was understood, no? by this particular song, the devotees understood, oh, you are giving access to that world. So my point is, one song can no, make you enter there. And Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta, of course, wanted to hear that song as a way of also, he, he's like pointing, I'm going there, I'm entering there, or I belong to that plane somehow. But the point is, again, it's not just they're singing a song. It, something else is happening on a more high level through that song. No, so through that song, they're being transported, they are being given entrance to certain realms. So, ideally, that's the, the highest potential of doing kirtan. So, although it may not happen to us immediately, <laughs> at least in theory, we should know this is the ultimate uh, potential of, of kirtan. It's not like, like Mahaprabhu is shown in Gaur Lila, and that's on a daily basis. <clears throat> Mahaprabhu is with his associates, <clears throat> and he starts to enter into a particular bhav whatever it may be, according to the different parts of the day he will. Now, for example, at one point, Mahaprabhu is wandering with his associate and he sees some gopas in Navadu. Now, there are also cowherds in Navadu. Mm -hmm. And he gets transported into the Gocharana Lila, the cowherd in pastimes in Vrindavan. He himself enters there, not in Radhabhav, but in the mood of Krishna as a cowherd. So Swarup Damodar is next to him and he feels, he sees I mean, he, he feels, he sees, that's the same thing at that level. Where Mahaprabhu is going internally, so he starts to sing a kirtan that fits, matches with what's going on in Mahaprabhu. So Mahaprabhu and everyone else around him are immediately transported into that lila in Vrindavan internally. 
And that happens the whole day. If you study, we made the series on Mahaprabhu Sastakaliya Lila. Every part of the day, Swarup Damodar is singing some kirtan, describing some Lila and Vrindavan, corresponding with what Mahaprabhu is feeling, and all of them are traveling, if you will, through kirtan, to that particular Lila, through their identities in that Lila. So all that is showing the potential of kirtan. Again, it's not just let's get together and have fun with some music, and because sometimes that can happen also. Kirtan can become like a social entertainment or something like that, no? and it's not like that. No? My Guru Mahesh will say, yeah, as much as you understand the things that we are speaking here, your Kirtan will become more mystical than musical. No? <laughs> In the beginning, Kirtan may be more musical, no? and the words may be more like concerned about learning different new melodies of the Mahamantra and every time singing in a new tone and and learning some new stroke with the Mridanga to to impress others. That can happen. <laughs> to show some cool stroke and, oh, wow, you did that. And at the end of the Kirtan, they will be mostly speaking, oh, that stroke of Mridanga was so nice. And that new tone, can you teach? And I'm not criticizing that. But the point is, that's not what Kirtan is about. I mean, that is just some, should be instrumental for delivering the bhav, delivering a particular mood. And all, all of them, all of us should enter into that. And of course, when singing different bhajans, each bhajan it has a particular mood. It's not that every bhajan is the same. Every kirtan is pointing to one direction. It's directed to I don't know, Guru, Vaishnavas, Nityananda, Mahaprabhu, Krishna, Radha, and so on. There are so many, uh, or, or some kirtans are not directed in the, in any of those directions, but are more like an expression of like Bhakti Notakur singing on Saranagati and the different stages of Saranagati and, and the showing through his singing what the, what's the meaning of those stages, how one should be feeling if you are going through them. <laughs> so those are very important for us to be like, identify with, okay, I, not identify like I will imitate Bhakti Notakur, no, because, I mean, you cannot imitate Bhakti Notakur, <laughs> but you can somehow be touched by his experience and make that experience your experience. I will say that's also a very important point. And because you sing these songs and in many of them you feel, I'm not there. I cannot imitate Narottam Das. I cannot cry like Bhakti Thakur says he's crying there. I but you can feel something in connection to what they are feeling. And that will be your feeling. They have an experience and you cannot be in that experience but you can get close to their experience, like approach there, and you yourself would get an experience of your own, being close to their experience. That, that's the whole idea of sadhu sangha. It's not that when it is said by surrounded by sadhus, you become a sadhu. Yes, but it's not that immediately I'm surrounded by a Uttam Adhikari and I'm there. <laughs> no. But you will become affected by that Uttam ness, <laughs> Uttam hood, on your own level. It's not that you will be having the same experience of the Uttamadikari but being close to the Uttamadikari, but you have your own experience of what it means to be close to someone with that experience. And that is a whole experience in itself for you. That will get you closer, closer, and someday you will have that same experience yourself. <laughs> you follow my point, no? So this song is the same. You are, okay, well, let's sing this song. Basically means let's get closer to the the heart of Narottam Das Let's get closer to the level of Prem of Bhakti Nota. It's not that I'm getting there 
today, but I'm approaching that reality and hopefully being affected, and I will have my own experience of that that will take me closer to that. So, so that's very important, basically. No? And of course, gradually, again, as I mentioned, we are to... These songs, many of them include many prayers and many like internal dispositions. And we are to make... Again, Narutam Dastaku wrote the song. Bhakti Nautaku wrote the song. But we are to make those songs ours at one point. At one point, it, it is us who will be singing that. I mean, they are singing that and give us, us a reference. But at one point, I should be praying like they are praying. Do you follow what sense? I mean, I should fully identify and with that so it becomes my prayer it becomes my it's not only oh that's Bhaktino Thakur yeah but what about you Bhaktino Thakur will ask you and you <laughs> because if not you are just like doing copy paste of what Bhaktino Thakur is saying and nothing is happening in your heart so there was no Kirtan actually so so again Kirtan is not just let's get together and have fun or something like that no, and have some aesthetic del relishment and music and rhythm and oh it was funny and social dynamics are there. Again, for some, it begins through that, and we have everyone has to begin somewhere. But Kirtan ultimately is a totally mystical experience, you know, which has to help us to, to, to transcend so many things as well. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I've heard sometimes some devotees in Kirtan will say, okay, now, now the Prabhus will sing. And now the Matajis will reply. And I'm not condemning that, but it's not, that's not what Kirtan is about. Because by doing that, you are creating this idea, you are a man, you are a woman. And actually Kirtan is to help us transcend those designations. <laughs> so they follow. In the name of that, you are reaffirming, remember you are a lady, so now it's your turn to sing. And you are a man, now man will sing. You are promoting this dichotomy, while Kirtan should help us go beyond those bodies, those designations, so things like this. So it's important, again, that when we are approaching Kirtan, we are sitting for Kirtan, we know, we have clear what we are supposed to do, you know, on some level. And what last thing says, how to choose what to sing, well, you have to ask your guru about that. It's not just like a for magical formula that everyone has to sing the same thing, because again, Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta will choose Sirupa Manjaripada. <laughs> And maybe a newcomer for two weeks, you cannot tell him, okay, let's go with Sri Rupa Manjari Pad. First, you have to explain who is Sri Rupa Goswami, what's a Manjari, who is Narutam Dastakur, and what's all that. So, it's not like one size fits all, as usual. No? But as you know, generally there's this hierarchy or sequence of Kirtan sometimes invoked. If one has the time, again, it's not something that it has always to be like that, but it's a nice experience. Vaishnavs, Guru, Guru Vaishnavs, Nityananda, Mahaprabhu, Krishna, Sri Radha, like a gradual way of approaching those realms. But again, that may take some time sometimes. But it's nice to, to learn the songs, at least to begin with the main ones. There are many songs. There are many songs that in, in different languages, in Bengali, in Oriya, in Hindi, in Sanskrit, in other, of course, Indian dialects, and of course, translated as well. So, which song, the songs that we need to sing, I, I will say, are, are those who depict the stage we are in and the necessity we have at, the, at that particular moment. So, that takes sincerity from us as well, no? like to feel, okay, well, 
For example, Bhaktivinoda Thakur sings about Saranagati. And there are many stages of Saranagati. And of course, it's not that one comes after the other necessarily. But one may feel certain necessity at that time. Go, let's go deep into Rakshishati Vishwa. So, developing faith that Krishna is my protector. Because I feel a lack of that. Okay, let's go there, whatever the case. And it's nice that also we can sing Kirtan, even if, of course, it's the idea is we are together with devotees, but sometimes for certain uh, situation, we may be by ourselves at some moment. We can sing also. It's not that if there are no devotees, I cannot do Kirtan. Of course, again, with devotees, it becomes Sankirtan, as I like to give some play of words. And, and by yourself, it may be some, some Kirtan. I'm doing some Kirtan. But when the word is Sankirtan, <laughs> again, I'm not playing, downplaying if you are alone, but again, that won't replace the environment of what you are receiving and so on. And again, if you, the more you advance, if you really become advanced, you, you will be associating yourself with Bhaktivinotakur when singing his bhajan. Even. You, will, you won't be alone, although externally you won't be alone singing Jairadha Madhava. If you have certain level, you will be... In having the Sadhu Sanghas of its author, Bhaktivinotakur there, and so many other personalities who are present there in the Kirtan. Anyhow, some words. Say Hari Kirtan Ji I hope that helps, Radhagiridari. Oh, Radhagiridari says that in Bulgarian, some means alone. Alone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We have a pointer. Good. So, Bhaktivinotakur. We just had a discussion uh, recently <coughs> about um, uh, that Srila uh, Sridhar Maharaj and Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Prabhupada, they were giving this, um, somebody said that uh, they were giving the idea that we first practice by the bhakti and then somehow we start at some point with Raganuga when we are like, more prepared. But that uh, Guru Maharaj reading the, uh, studying more, more the, the books of Goswamis and uh, associating with some Acharyas, uh, have said that we actually uh, practice Raghunuga from the beginning, just at the sudden stage of Vaidhi and Raghunuga coincide in, in activity how you practice. But I have also heard from his lectures, quoting Srivashidra Maharaj specifically, and him quoting Bhaktisiddhanta Prabhupada, that actually we approach Raganuga Bhakti using some of the Vaidhi Bhakti, like Archana or certain things, but that they also say that we actually start practicing that this is our path, but we just put it on, uh, like how is it, top of our head, and we approach it like with this. Can you please clarify this? How mm. exactly it is? <coughs> yeah, you want me to lose my flight, basically, because <laughs> <laughs> this takes some time. It's a long topic. I mean, I will yeah. say something for sure, but I will recommend for those interesting in really go into details into this uh, to study uh, books like, of course, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, when Rupa Goswami defines both Vaidya and Raganuga Bhakti, and very special book is 
Nagabhatma Chandrika of, of Vishwana Chakrabarta. We made a series of lectures. I think it's like 25 lectures. So I'll try to give a summary of those 25 now. <laughs> so, <clears throat> where to begin? <laughs> yes, the point is we have Bhaiti Bhakti and we have Raganuga Bhakti. This is presented by Rupa Goswami. In his Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, Rupa Goswami gives a unique uh, description of Bhakti, very detailed. And he, of course, begins first of all by defining Bhakti before speaking about Bhaidir and so on. What's Bhakti? So, famous verse there, Anyabilasita Sunyam, and so on. We won't go into that direction now. But what's Uttam Bhakti? Basically, and then he goes. This Uttam Bhakti, it expresses itself, if you will, in three stages: sadhana, bhava, and prem. Okay, she says. Okay, now we go to sadhana. Sadhana of the Uttam Bhakti type. <coughs> he will say this sadhana bhakti is divided into Bhaiti and Raganuga. So it's important, at least, to in theory understand how this thing goes. Because I've heard the devotees even saying, we have sadhana bhakti and raganuga bhakti. <laughs> like it, thinking of sadhana only in terms of bhaiti, but actually raganuga is a division of sadhana bhakti. Sadhana bhakti, as we know, he defines sadhana bhakti, kriti sadhi bhavit sadhi, and so on, using the senses for the pleasure of the master of the senses in order to invoke a particular bhava. But then again, he says there is Bhaiti Bhakti and Raganuga Bhakti, which, as you may have heard, Bhaiti Bhakti is mostly related with rules, regulations, and, and and being mostly prompted into the practice. But what the scripture says, I have to do, and and, and not wanting to uh, transgress that, and and some even fear on some level of the consequences of transgressing transgressing those rules and regulations. Well, Raganuga Bhakti, on the other side, is described as being prompted by greed. <coughs> by the greed of what? Of following, of serving Krishna in the wake of the inhabitants of Vrindavan. So it may sound like a really different thing at one point. But here, mostly Rupa Goswami is speaking about the internal motivation towards the practice. Internally, there is this orientation, like what Shastra said follow the rule, the consequences of not doing that, and the other way, the other one is following the mood of the Brajavasis, which, I mean, if you, for example, follow the gopis, you are you are not caring for what Shastra says and what the society will say, we are just transgressing so many things on the way. <laughs> but, again, that speaks on, on, on the internal approach. But externally, Rupa Goswami say he describes 64 Angas of Sadhana Bhakti, in general, without saying Raga Nuga Bhaiti, 64 Angas, no? 64 limbs of, of, of Sadhana Bhakti, no? and there are so many, we won't go them into detail, but taking shelter of the Guru, accepting initiation, serving Him, worshipping the Deity, living in a sacred place, singing Harinam, worshipping the cow, 64. And then he says... All these 64 items that can be practiced in Bhaiti Bhakti, all of them, with some exceptions, can also be followed in Raganuga Bhakti. 
So he's saying, basically externally, he's saying, Abhadi Bhakta Naraga Nuga Bhakta may be seeing doing the same thing. But their internal prospect, concept, motivation, that's the difference. That's what makes something by the Anuraganuga, basically. Not so much, oh, he's worshipping the deity and he's, whatever, doing something else, more Raganuga-like or something. Of course, then Rupa Goswami goes on describing in detail the main practices of Raganuga Bhakti. Although he says all of this can be part of Raganuga Bhakti, except for some of them, like worshipping the queens of Dwarka, or things like this that go against the prospect of in Vrindavan. At the same time, the main things in, in Raga Bhakti are certain specific things. No? He will emphasize like hearing about the service mood of those associates one wants to follow in Vrindavan, and Lila Smaranam also like meditating internally, developing this meditative disposition about the Lilas of Krishna, and serving in those Lilas, projecting one's identity in the Lila, of course, this is, does not begin in day one, but that becomes a very important part uh, of the internal service rendered in the context of Raga Bhakti and so on. So, <clears throat> I'm very, again, I'm just being brutally brief here regarding all that has to be said. So, that on one side, and we have again, regarding your question, Sila Siddhar Maharaj, or Bhaktivinoda Thakur himself, Prabhupada Bhakti Siddhanta, sometimes speaking in terms of Vaidhi Bhakti, and then, like, it seems, it seems that they may be saying, okay, first there is Vaidhi Bhakti, and there ca then comes Raganuga Bhakti, and actually many devotees have that idea, uh, but now I will go to what they mean by Vaidhi Bhakti. And even I've heard some weird things, unfortunately, but some devotees have this idea that we do not follow Raganuga Bhakti, we follow Vaidhi Bhakti. Like Prabhupada gave us four regulative principles and 16 rounds and we follow the rules and we achieve Golok Vrindavan. But Raganuga Bhakti is for like Babaji and Radha Kunda or something like that. That's not our school. But that's not like that. That's a, 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 a grave deviation. I mean, Mahaprabhu himself is... Chaitanya Charitamrita say that. Prima rasa niriyasa korite ashwatan ragavarga bhakti loke korite pracharan. Mahaprabhu is saying through the pen of Krishna Das Kaviraj, I will come to the world to taste Prem Rasa, main purpose to relish Radha Bhav, and Raga Marga Bhakti Loki Korite Pracharan. Raga Marga Korite Pracharan means to preach, to do Prachar Bhakti Loki in this world of Raga Marga Bhakti. And as a result of my tasting, in this world I will distribute Raga Marga Bhakti. So in other words, our lineage is a Raga Marga lineage. Because our goal is Vrindavan. Now, of course, Nityanaudip is there, which is an extension of that Vrindavan. But our goal from day one, I mean, the devotees are not telling you, let's go to Vaikuntha and serve Narayan, or let's go to Ajodhya and serve. Some cases may be like that, some exceptions to the rule because of some previous bhakti scars, and Mahaprabhu gives place to everyone. But in general, Gaudiya Sampradaya points. You have there the picture, no? points to Vrindavan. No? <laughs> and you cannot attain Vrindavan with, by, through Vaidhi Bhakti. That's the point. The only way to attain Vrindavan is following in the footsteps of the Brajabhasis, and that's Raganuga Bhakti. So without Raganuga Bhakti, you cannot go to Vrindavan. 
And since our lineage points to Vrindavan, our lineage must be a Raganuga Bhakti lineage. So the question, of course, is so what's the role of Vaidhi Bhakti or why were Charis speaking in terms of Vaidhi Bhakti sometimes? Actually, when Bhaktinoda Thakur or, or, or any of our previous Acharyas, contemporary Acharyas, speak in terms of Vaidhi Bhakti as eventually taking us to Raganuga Bhakti, they, when they say Vaidhi Bhakti here, they do not mean the Vaidhi Bhakti that, for example, takes one to Vaikuntha, because if you follow Vaidhi Bhakti, for example, Sri Sampradaya, they worship Narayan in Vaikuntha. They follow Vaidhi Bhakti. And they will tell you, I follow Vaidhi That's why, and forever they follow Vaidhi Bhakti. It's not that at one point they become Raganuga Bhakti. Because they don't want to go to Vrindavan. <laughs> so Vaidhi Bhakti per se, exclusive Vaidhi Bhakti, points to Vaikuntha. But in our tradition, Vaikuntha is not on the map from day one. So in that sense, we're not following Vaidhi Bhakti from day one. But also we don't have the full greed that qualifies one to fully embrace Raga Bhakti. It's not that from day one I'm totally passionate about serving Krishna in Vrindavan in the mood of whoever. No, you are getting informed about those things and you are totally passionate about a lot of nonsense in this world yet. <laughs> so gradually we need to like to to, to dovetail the passion and properly express it. But still we are practicing Raganuga Bhakti from day one because we belong to that school, we are connected with that ideal, Vrindavan. So in that, in a generous way, we could say we are Raganuga Bhakti from day one. That's the mercy of Mahaprabhu. But, but that doesn't mean like, I'm already Raganuga Bhakti from day one. I'm a beginner Raganuga Bhakti who, who has been connected with the ideal of Vrindavan and is getting informed about that. But that, that, it doesn't mean that I'm full of longing and passion and greed for following, maybe not yet. So, there is a term that Jiva Goswami uses in his Sandarbhas, and also Krishna Das Kaviraj then, to describe those Raganuga Bhaktas who are still not that much full of rag. Rag means like passion. And it's Ajata Ruchi Raganuga Sadhana Bhakti, which means, it may seem like an oxymoron, because it, Raganuga means... Bhakti or Raga Bhakti means Bhakti full of longing and greed. And Ajata Ruchi means he in whose uh, life, Ruchi or taste or passion, Ajata. Ajata means non-born, unborn. So he practices this path of passion, but he has not awakened or, or developed this passion. So it seems like... <laughs> so, but most of them are in that st- stage. We belong to the Raganuga school, but we are not that much feel of raga yet. But still, that's a, we are part of that. So there's place for that. So that type of bhakti, in which we have this idea, and we agree, I, I'm, I'm attracted to Vrindavan, to the ideal of Vrindavan, maybe not in, in any specific mode of service yet, but that's calling me. But still, I really realize I'm not that greedy for that yet, but still... I'm projecting in that. So that's called Ajata Ruchi Raganuga Sadhana Bhakti. But Acharyas like Bhakti Nautakur, Prabhupada, Siddhanta, and so on, call that Vaidhi Bhakti. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I also it like that. So in that sense, that Vaidhi Bhakti is taking us to Raganuga Bhakti. Mm. Because actually that Vaidhi Bhakti is a form of Raganuga Bhakti, but they choose not to call that Raganuga Bhakti mm. because it's not that much filled with rag. In the beginning, you have to follow rules and regulations 
Asuraga Nuga Bhakta, because you don't have that spontaneous attraction and that's carrying you on your way to serving Krishna. You need to to follow certain parameters, basically. No? Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur gives this this nice example in Raghavarma Chandrika. No? I think I, I say that the other day. He says that, for example, a person <coughs> is really is greedy on some level, let's say, for tasting uh, gulab jamun. Do you know? Have you tasted gulab jamun? Yes. All of you? You have to make her go through that experience. Okay. <laughs> so she understands my example. It's a sweet, it's a sweet, very interesting experience. <laughs> so it's a milk sweet, basically, mostly. So, like many of them, gulab jamun, rasa gula, and so on. So, um, so someone wants to taste ra- gulab jamun. And, he, and, and I say, okay, I want, I, I'm greedy for gulab jamun. So what do I have to do for that? So say, oh, you have to well, go to the shop and buy one. There are two ways we can say that. If the person, uh, oh, I have to buy that, how much does it cost? And they will tell you, I don't know, 30 rupees. If you are, if you are Western, they will tell 100 rupees. <laughs> one, one will have to. <laughs> Just in case you have to be prepared about the prices there and so on. Still, that will be cheap for a European, but they are cheating you. <laughs> so... Uh, so you will say, oh, I don't have that, that, that amount. I only have five rupees. Sorry, no gulab jamun there. And they will say, okay, no gulab jamun. You continue your life. That means you were not greedy. <laughs> you follow? If you are greedy, you start to think, how I get those hundred rupees? If you are really greedy, if you say, oh, I don't get it. Okay, I can live without that. It means you are not greedy. But if you say, oh, 100 rupees, okay, I have to see how I get that. I will work, I will get, I will steal. I will, if you, my point is, if you are greedy, it's like I have to do something to get that. So another example in that connection that Vishwanath Chakravartakur gives is, you want to gulab jamun? Okay, it's made from milk. So you ask, how to get milk? Well, you need a cow. Okay, I'll get a cow. So now, well, you have to feed the cow first, if you want milk then. <laughs> so you have to get some grass, you have to take care of the cow, because it's not just eating grass, you have to clean the cow dung, the cow pee, and so on. So it's a whole thing, a whole bunch of things that externally says, what does it have to do with eating a gulab jamun? <laughs> but you have your idea, man, I want a gulab jamun. First I need milk, so first the cow is there, taking care of her, feeding her, milking her, eventually <laughs> you get to the point of milking, you have the milk, gulab jamun is not there yet, <laughs> You have to do something with the milk, the whole process there, with some other ingredients you have. And eventually you have the gulab jamun. So you have to follow so many rules and regulations, if you will, <laughs> with the cow. But actually your main purpose was not following all those things, but getting to the point of having the gulab jamun. You follow? So by external it seems you are milking a cow, cleaning cow dung. What does it have to do with relishing gulab jamun? But you understand the connection between those spots. All of them will converge into gulab jamun. So in the same way, someone who follows Raganuga Bhakti may have this idea, Brindavan, this. But to reach there, that person understands first I have to do all these different things that may seem unrelated, but for my stage, they're totally related. 
And I understand they are not the goal in itself, but they are to take me in that direction. To follow. So some idea of... So it, you are seen to, to follow rules and regulations, but actually there is some greed that is taking you to do those things. Hmm? While other people may be following those same rules and regulations, but without that greed for some other reason. Hmm? So in that sense, Srila Siddhar Maharaj uh, and Prabhupada Kisanda used the term Bhaiti Bhakti to refer to those early stages of Raga Nuga Bhakti. When you advance in Raga Bhakti, your rag will be such that even you may neglect some of those rules, but not because you want, not like, okay, now I have so much rag, I don't need to do that. No, but because you are not able to follow the rules, because the Bhav is overpowering you, basically. No? Famous example is when Mahaprabhu was having darshan of Jagannath in Jagannath Puri, and one lady came, old Vaishnavi. She was so greedy, really, <laughs> to have darshan of Mahaprabhu, but she was smaller, and Mahaprabhu was pretty tall, so she was, he wanted to have darshan, she wanted it. So she climbed on Mahaprabhu's shoulders to see Jagannath. <laughs> you can imagine. <laughs> That's not with the Vaishnava etiquette, basically. No? If, you don't, if the sannyas is too tall, just climb on his shoulder and have darshan. <laughs> Be prepared for a danda, the danda. That's one of the uses of the danda. <laughs> But my point is, this lady was so greedy that actually she was not aware I'm climbing on the shoulders of a sannyasi. She, she was, she wanted, the greed was taking her to, I want to see that Jagannath. So she was not aware actually I'm breaking the rules because she was following a higher rule <laughs> out of affection. So she climbed on um, Mahaprabhu, took darshan of Jagannath, started crying, but all the associates of Mahaprabhu like kind of hey, what are you doing? <laughs> and they took her down. And, and she kind of came back to external consciousness and realized, oh, I was climbing the shoulders of a sannyasi and started to beg forgiveness. She was not aware. And when, and Mahaprabhu, when, he, when Mahaprabhu himself returned to external consci- consciousness, because he himself was not aware of what was happening, <laughs> he was totally absorbed. And he realized, what happened? He said, no, this, this lady climbed up your shoulders to see Jagannath. Mahaprabhu said, if I would have, if I would just have that type of greed for having darshan of Jagannath. He was not, he didn't criticize the lady. He said, hopefully someday I have that same greed that takes me to neglect all these rules without even knowing about them. <laughs> and that's what the Brajavadis are doing, basically. They are transgressing everything without even being aware of that. Gopis hear the flute. They neglect everything on the way, but they are not aware I'm neglecting this, I'm neglecting that, I'm neglecting that. They're just self-forgetfulness in divine love. Like when the gopis leave everything behind and go to Krishna, and someone may say, but how are they not thinking about their houses and husbands and kids? No, because they are totally forgetful of themselves. So what to speak of, of, of having forgotten husband, wife, house, they are forgotten themselves. So everything else is included in that self-forgetfulness. Only the flute call remains, basically. <laughs> but again, we have to begin somewhere to reach such a degree. So, And also that's why, and with this I will finish, what Srila Siddhar Maharaj always emphasized this famous line, line composed by Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta, Pujala Ragapata Gaurabhavange. There's an, an audio, a nice audio, Srila Siddhar saying, in that tone, Pujala Ragapata Gaurabhavange. That is the existence of Bhakti Siddhanta. 
no, that is the the essence of Bhakti Siddhanta. His real existence is there. So he quotes this line that he composed, Prabhupada Bhakti Siddhanta, when the deities were carried to the Bhagavasar Gaudiamat. There's a nice article from my Guru Mahesh in that connection. And basically that, that verse is saying, Puja Laraga Pata Gaudabhabhangi Matalahari Jana Bishayarangi that we are to approach the Raga Mark with reverence. It's not that the Raga Mark is about reverence, it's not about reverential love, but we should feel some reverence for the path itself, for the depth and the greatness, because if we do not have that approach, we may misunderstand the whole Raga Mark thinking this is totally ordinary. No. So we are to have the proper respect, but not like by Kuntha Bhakti towards Krishna, Honor the path itself, the passionate path of Raga, and that's in itself a, a way of the type of Bhakti Bhakti that Bhakti Nautakar or Bhakti Siddhanta are about, or, or, or Ajata Ruchi Raganuga Bhakti. We are not yet in that passionate, no, spontaneous service, but we have been charmed, we have been touched and charmed by that ideal, but from our particular position at present, we also engage in appreciating. No, in in theory, what's that about? Having the proper respect and approaching that more and more. I always like to define also sadhana bhakti as such. No? Sadhana bhakti is like, I mean, it's, it's a way of saying. It's not just the only definition for sure. But sadhana bhakti could be seen as a stage where we are theoretically appreciating bhava bhakti. Because bhava bhakti is the goal of sadhana bhakti. But in sadhana, in practicing... But I'm also appreciating, con conceiving properly what's bhava about, what's prema about, what's the life of the Brajabhas about. I need to be educated about what they are about. Of course, that will create certain respect for that, but also certain desire in time to be one of them, if you will. No? But in sadhana, I'm in theory appreciating that. And the more I advance in sadhana, and, and my Guru said, the more I advance by that exercise, the more that reverence to the path will, the, the, that reverence, the, the gap, it will be breached. That reverence that I have for Raga Bhakti will be breached, and I will be more and more a part of the Raga Mark itself, in the sense that I will be become filled with, with lova, with laulium, you know, with, with greed myself. So, so some ideas you know, in connection to why uh, some of our acharyas use this term Bhaiti Bhakti, which was the idea they had in mind. That was not the Bhaiti Bhakti again of the Sri Sampradaya, of Vaikuntha, but it's, a, it's, it's actually Raganuga Bhakti in, in its early days that we may call it Bhaiti Bhakti. In that sense, it takes to Raganuga Bhakti. So. But for more details, you have those 25 classes of Raghavarma Chandrika waiting for all of you. <laughs> because there's many things to unpack in further detail. And for some of them, some of the things may be new also, so we need time to properly digest and so on. So, Okay, so it's 10 p.m., so we have gone already more than an hour. I think some nice questions have been addressed, hopefully also nicely on some level. So thank you so much again to all of you for presence and invitation again here to Bumkaria. It was not in my agenda, but it was in your agenda and Krishna's agenda, so we are to honor that and hopefully... We may meet each other here, there, anywhere else, whatever Krishna may likes to take us. So.
Srila Gurudev ki jai, Sri Man Mahaprabhu ki jai, Sri Sri Rasdamodaraju ki jai, Sri Harinam Sankirtan ki jai, Sri Dwadasi ki jai, Gaur Bhaktavrind ki jai, Gaur Pramam. Hari 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 Hari